Welcome everyone. This week my family and I are away on a much needed holiday while my dad is in town from the States. So I thought it would be good to share an episode that featured some of the best ups from the podcast over the past year or so. I'll be linking all the episodes in the show notes and this podcast will also be available in video format on YouTube if you want to check that out as well as on Fountain. We start off with my pastor and general superintendent of the UPCA, Stanley Harvey, sharing the difference between our personal desires and God's will in episode 76. In every decision, thought and intent, consider God's desires. If you want to know God's will, it's always that, that he would be glorified, that his will is being done, and that it will um, be to the extension of his kingdom, it will be to the to glory of his name. Everything would be to, to fulfill not, not our personal wishes mm. or our ambitions and drives, but what, what God is happy with. Um, yeah, uh, sorry um, to interrupt you there. But go ahead. Because we just had um, Brother Lawami Diaz on, and, and he made a, a really great point on that specific issue when he was talking about um, we know that all things work together for good to them who love God. And then also, I think it was Joseph who said, you know, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. I heard that. I was wondering. Yeah, it's so good. And and it was like many times we uh, we try and interpret what is good in life or what is good for us based on our own ideas or, or what we expect to take place. Not many of us would, um, you know, think that the will of God is going to take us into heaps of hardship hardship because we don't want that (laughs) you know we only want the good things and uh but as you're saying here we need to take into consideration what is god's purpose what is it what is his overall view of what's taking place yeah Yeah, amen i I love that what what brother loami shared about that that passage in in genesis 50 where he said what you meant for evil god meant it for good And, and sometimes we can sort of misinterpret that to say that um, what, what the evil that happens to us, God can turn it around for good. But rather, what he's saying is what evil happened to us, God meant that evil to happen mm. so that it can produce good in us. Wow. And produce, you know, and I thought that that was just brilliant, brilliant idea. And yeah, I think, you know, when we are seeking God's will, when we're seeking God first, then I believe automatically he, he the will, of our will, God's personal will for us, for us personally, will be revealed. As mm. he said in, in of course, the, our, one of our favorite scriptures, Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first, seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things, referring to all the, the needs that we have, whether it's food, clothing, whatever it is that we need, it shall be added unto us. Mm. And so uh, instead of focusing on what's, what's my will, what's my will, Let's focus on, God, what, what's your will? How can I please you? How can I serve you? How can my life be best used for your glory? And, and when, we, when that becomes our intention, when that becomes the driving force, then we won't be so much consumed as, you know, oh, you know, which way shall I turn or what, you know, which way shall I go? And, and I think um, that is a very, very important principle to understand. And, and if we take, take that approach in everything, even with our marriages, even as parents with our children, that you know our children and our, our spouses are not there to provide my wants or my needs, but I want to honor God by by serving them the best that I can. Um, then, then I think that really uh, lends for for a happy relationship, indeed. Mm.
Yeah, and then when we're all serving one another, if if we're all submitting to one another, serving one another, then the needs are met. And I love that passage, especially because it says it's talking about the needs that we have, not necessarily the, the desires the or desire. the ones that yeah. we have. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And and if we like, if we allow God to conform our will or change our will towards His, transform us, then our needs will be and our desires will be directed more towards what he would have for us anyway. Exactly. And, and I think that's where uh, a lot of the misconceptions come in is that they often people want the will of God, but what they often want is their will, what they want to happen. And, and I'm reminded of the story in Acts chapter 21 where um, Paul was was having to head back to Jerusalem and he comes across some believers and, and there was a, a man by the name of Agabus, a prophet, who, who took him by his girdle in Acts 21 and verse 11, his belt, and bound his hands and feet with it and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews of Jerusalem bind the man that owns the girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. This was a prophetic word, right? right? This was the gifts of the Spirit in operation in the church. And when everybody that was there heard these things, um, all of them that were with Paul uh, besought Paul, encouraged him, don't yeah. go. Look, God is speaking to you. And, and, and any lesser man would say, well, God's speaking to me that this is what's going to happen to me, then I better not go. Mm. But, but listen to what Paul says. Paul answered in verse number 13. He says, why are you weeping and you're breaking my heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he wouldn't be persuaded, he sees saying the will of God, the will of the Lord be done. Mm. And so he already knew what the will of the Lord is which was for him to go to Jerusalem despite what the outcome would be over there. God had called him to go back and to speak and to preach the gospel there, even though he was going to be suffering persecution. Wow. And so, you know, me, if that was me, I'd be like, okay, no, I'm, I'm not going. If that's going to happen to me, I'm going to stay home. Uh, <laughs> thank you for the warning. Thank you for the warning. Yeah, no, but but that's all it, it was. Exactly. It was just a warning to warn Paul that this is, this is what you need to expect. And, um, you know, and Paul says, well, I'm, I'm ready because God's called me to do this. And whatever the will of the Lord is, let it be done. Mm. And I think what a, what a great theology and attitude and spirit that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to op- walk in through the door. And that's probably the next part of, of one of the, the points. But whatever happens, it's the will of God. Where, where my life is right now, I'm serving him. I'm doing the best I can. This is the will of God. And whatever the outcome is, that's not for me to wow. determine. Yeah. What's so powerful about Paul's journey, and in, in, in specifically, is that yes, he was going through and he and he was evangelizing, and from the outside we could see, of course, that's God's will. God's will is for him to evangelize and to continue in evangelizing. And I've read that passage. I'm doing like a, a Bible reading program that has me reading through Acts once a month this year. And uh, every time I get back to that story, I'm just like, man, Paul, how did you do that? But you know. Uh, you th- you think about it, yeah. Our idea would be he needs to keep keep evangelizing. Mm-hmm. He's better outside the prison, whereas God maybe wanted to get him into the prison so then he could write the letters right. that we are now reading, the letters that have impacted the church for two millennia. And would those letters exist without him being imprisoned? Obviously, we don't know that, but you know, God knew, and 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 His will was to send him in that direction. Yeah, exactly, and and I think that that's a great point. That uh, these what was seemingly terrible persecution that's happened, and Paul lists them in his epistles. 
um, they're actually God's will. He, mm-hmm. what, he, God, what other, other people mean for evil, God meant it for good so that he can write the epistles. Uh, in the case of uh, the Philippian jailer, um, he was in prison with Silas, mm-hmm. but he brought salvation to the Philippian jailer and his whole family. Next, we have Nancy Granquist talking about the anointing in episode 62. Can you talk about, and, and you've kind of touched on it a little bit throughout this conversation, but can you talk about the importance of the anointing when it comes to worship leading, when it comes to playing? Because, I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the thing everyone says about Nancy Granquist. When, when they hear you play, when they hear you sing, they can feel the anointing. And there's a difference. There's a difference between someone who is a great singer and someone who is a, a great singer but is an anointed singer. Would you mind uh, talking about that for a moment? I, I feel like an anointed life, an anointed ministry, an anointed minstrel, music, whatever, I feel like at the very core of that is a pure heart. Mm. Not a perfect heart. Because we're humanity, Brother Greg. Yeah. But, but a, a heart that is broken by the things that break the heart of God and that our lives are, we know brokenness. And we, mm. out of that brokenness, we let that beautiful essence of the healing, anointing oil of our life flow out of us. Mm. I just try to be real and authentic, Brother Greg, in my music I, I I was on Mark Lowry's show last week, and um, and we were, he asked me he wanted to do the old Pentecostal songs, you know, yeah. And so we did, and there was a few minutes where we were crying, and you know the presence of the Lord came in so beautifully. It doesn't matter where you are, mm-hmm. if you if you live so close to Him. I mean, it's not even a thought, Brother Greg. I, I am so aware of his presence. And I can just sit down at a piano and play a chord and just weep mm-hmm. in his presence. I, I think God looks for not perfection. But I think he, he, like, I feel pitiful. Like, I need God so much, Brother Greg, probably more than anybody else that you know. I need God more. Mm. And I'm not afraid to tell people that. I need God. I need his love. I need him. To, I need his righteousness. And this is something I say every day, Brother Greg. God, wrap me in your righteousness. Wrap me in. Let me walk in your righteousness. Because without righteousness, no man will see God. Amen. And so I desire his presence. I desire, I meditate on his word every day. And, you know, when you have little kids running around, it's pretty hard to meditate on anything. <laughs> it is, yes. But but even, even just, <clears throat> I don't know, just to even say a phrase of a scripture out loud in your house, it, it relinquishes the sweetest essence of the Lord's presence in our mm-hmm. homes. We don't have to preach a sermon. We could just say, oh, I'm casting all my care upon you, Lord, 
for you care for us. And when we say that word, our children feel safe. Our children like, oh, daddy knows Jesus or mama knows Jesus. Mm. That's so good. It's so important that our life, it, it really does pour out of the essence of yes. his presence. And yeah, that's the, what I think anointing is. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's an outflow uh, of something that's taken place before you ever got on the stage, before you ever got be behind an instrument. It's a, it's an outflow of, of what God is doing yes. in your life. And I think it's yes. key that that point that you made about brokenness, you know, anointing tends to flow out of the broken areas of our life. And yeah, that's, it's profound. It's one thing to read books about walking with the Lord and knowing him out of you know brokenness or whatever but it's another thing when you know the crushing you know mm. that scripture that says uh the the broken and contrite spirit of the lord will not turn away that contrite word i think it's in the greek means splintered and when that means absolutely there is nothing left you know in the context of that word it's like ah this is this has come apart in every way but how out of that place of deep crushing and brokenness is the sweetest knowing him. There's nothing as precious as being in that place with him. And that's what I think is so profound to people, Brother Greg, when, when we're with people, they don't even know what it is. They don't yeah. know. But it is the broken places of our lives that really flow to people and they're drawn to the Lord and they, you know, they, they find healing, they find hope, you know. And so that's, that's my greatest, you know, my greatest desire is to bring that hope to people mm. from whatever I've known in my life. When Luami Diaz was last with us on episode 73, he shared his amazing insight on Romans 8, 28. Where Paul says that all things are working together for the good. God is, is working something in you, even in the times of trials, even when you feel like this is not the way that I should, or uh, should or this is not the way that I should be taken, or the, or where I should, or I should be way ahead in life, and you know, or how come I'm not married, or mm. why was I born so short, or so tall, or so big bone, handicapped, or um, this or that? And I mean, there's so much. Or why was I born into this family, not that family, um, etc. There, there's yeah. so many complaints and. I think that if you look at scripture over and over again, if you look at the, the, the life of Job, you can look at the life of Joseph, and, and both of those will tell you um, they all went through heavy trial in their life. And even through the trial, God had their best interest at heart. Or mm. forget their best interest. He had his own best interest in mind. God did. He right. had a plan that he was working through that. And so this is what he was saying. Don't complain. Because as Joseph said, what you guys meant for evil, God meant it for good. 
In other words, sinners don't have a right to complain. It is not your world. It is not formed for your glory. It is not formed. This world was not formed for your liking. This is God's world. He is the potter. He knows how to handle. He knows what road you take. And it is his will that is perfect, good, and acceptable. And I think that um, when we preach or when we speak about that specific verse, the word that we emphasize there is good. You know, oh, God meant it for good, good, like good is going to come out of it. And, and it's our definition of good. Mm-hmm. That's not that's not the emphasis that Joseph was making. Joseph was or the, the emphasis that we should all get from that is that God meant it. God meant it. Like that's crazy to think about that. Mm-hmm. That God meant you being sold into slavery? That God meant you being in prison? That God meant um you almost falling into the into temptation through, you know, that God meant all of these things to, mm. to, to happen. So, um, it's a crazy thought, but you know, uh, another one, um, that I can give you is queen Esther. And when, um, when her uncle came to her and said, Hey, who knows? Maybe God brought you to the kingdom for such a time as this. You know, we preach that often and we're like, yeah, you're in the kingdom for such, but we never ask the question, how did Esther get to the kingdom? How did God bring Esther to the kingdom? Mm. The way Esther came to the kingdom was because, oh man, it's such a dark, you know, dark story. Like there's a dark storyline behind all of this. The way she got to the kingdom is because she was, she was coming into the, the king's harem. Mm. And that's, you know, you are going to be used as a sex wife. You're coming in as a slave, as a sex. But, but hey, even in your darkest moments, that does not escape God. He's not the cause of evil necessarily, but God is using whatever the circumstances in your life are to bring good um, to his cause and the world's cause and whatever plan he's got in store. We have been blessed with so many great episodes with Dr. Vonnie Marshall. The next two clips are from episode 77, which is the most widely watched and listened to episode. And it is where we talked with her about how to be mentally healthy. I'm going to say something which might be a little, not, not necessarily heavy, but this is just a little bit on neuroscience. Our brain neurotransmitters communicate our our thoughts to the rest of our bodies you know our thought if there's something a ball is coming towards me in high speed my brain my eyes will look at the ball and it'll give a signal to my brain to duck so mm. that the ball doesn't hit me okay so neurotransmitters are sending and receiving signals and messages to the rest of our body from our body to the brain to the from the brain to our feelings and vice versa and all of that and and to our limbs to run fire oh my goodness my my brain will say run flee or put it out fight fight is where's the where's the whatever and you know you put it out or if it's too big to handle you call the 
you, you call your emergency services, you run out of the house. You don't stand there and go, well, I'm not sure what to do. So, you know, <laughs> and so neurotransmitters are the brain's way of communicating with the rest of our body. Okay. <clears throat> it has been discovered. It has been discovered. And this is still being researched. And, and I would, if you want, if the viewer or the, the, the listener wants to Google neurobiology or neuroscience to understand how to... Uh, how to not overcome, but how to manage fear, whatever you can. There are a lot of writings, good scholarly writings. Please read scholarly writings and not just weird opinions by people that are not experts. But I've done some research on this, and I've found, and many, many, many counsellors have found this, that there are pathways that in our brain that processes um, thoughts and stuff like that. There are pathways that negative thoughts create. Neg- constant, not one negative thought, like, you know, oh my goodness, I look horrible. You know, No, that's not going to make an impact. But constant, regular, severe, emotionally disruptive thinking, negative thoughts, can cause literally lacerations on your wow. Can cause lacerations, scratches and can eventually form a pathway where you will be stuck in the negative thought and stuck in depression and anxiety without getting out of it, without being able to get out of it, unless you, you, you take medication that's, as I said, not a cure, but a, but a, a coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. At, 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 the, at best, it's, medication is coping mechanisms. Similar to how negative thoughts can cause these pathways, like a trench, Mm-hmm. It's it, enough lacerations, it, fo- it causes a little trench in, your, in the synaptic pathways, in the, you know, in the transmitters, that your brain now, w- whenever there's a situation, your brain goes into automatic negative mode, mm-hmm. automatic, anxious, fearful thinking, rather than positive, good thinking. Similarly, if you, you can, the only way to replace it is to force your brain to call out that negative thought, to expose the negative thought, and to impose on the negative thought a positive outcome. When you keep getting into the habit, like you said just now, what word did you use? You're training it. You train your mind, very good word, you train your mind, you get into a habit of positive thinking, that what happens is there would become another pathway. A positive mm. pathway it will, that will that will that will be there parallel, and then that negative pathway will soon be healed because the brain is an organ; mm-hmm. it can wow. self heal. Yeah. If it's given a chance, it can self heal. Yeah. But if you don't give it a chance, then you're continuing. You are actually hurting your own brain by these toxic emotions. Negative thinking uh, is toxic. It's toxic mm. to our health. It's toxic to our well being our emotional well-being, mental health, spiritual well-being. And that is why, that is why in the scripture it says, as a man thinketh, he actually becomes it. Wow. Jesus was talking about our brain. Yeah. None of us actually, not none of us, but many people don't think that he was talking about our brain. He was just, they saying, oh, that sounds like a nice, you know, spiritual phrase you know as a man thinketh so i need to think right in mm. order to 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 control my destiny it's true but he was thinking about the brain's capacity to be trained yeah if you train it right 
your destiny will follow mm. how you think. Change the way you think so that you change the way you feel. Mm. It's thoughts that affect emotion, not the other way around. Wow. It's not what you feel that affects your thinking. A lot of people think that, no. You, it first starts here. That's why the battle is not in your heart. The mm. battle is in your mind. Right. So when your battle is raging there, that affects your feelings. If you have a sad thought, then you're going to feel sad. If you have a happy thought, you will feel. That is why Paul in the, in the Bible says, it's one of my favorite, well, all scripture is my favorite, but this one is really, really neat. It, it says, Paul said, I think myself happy. Mm. The exact words. I think myself happy. What he's saying is, and if you look at the, the, the preceding scripture and the following scriptures, he's talking about strongholds. He's talking about how the enemy can rob you of, of the, but then he says, look, I've made up my mind to rejoice. I think myself happy. He didn't say, I'm going to decide to feel happy because the heart is deceitful. Mm. You can't depend on the heart. The heart, the Bible says the heart is the most deceitful place ever and who can know it except God, right? The heart is deceitful and full of, full of deceit and, and, and it is not a reliable source to build your walk with God. It is not a reliable source to build your mental health. Do not, it, it doesn't say heart health, it says mental health. Mm. So mental health cannot be built on uh, um, getting your, you know, on your heart. It just cannot, your heart, your, or your feelings, I shouldn't say heart, your feelings and emotions are transient. It, it depends on your mood. It's changeable. It's so, it's not settled. It's not reliable. It is very changeable and it's very deceitful. You could have a, a bad day and if you build your mental health on how you're feeling, then you will never get to be mentally healthy. You have got to build your mental health on what you think. The next two are from the Making Healthy Changes series that we had with Dr. Marshall, where she talked to us about God's grace and how we often struggle to forgive others. Do you know how many times I have heard people uh, beg God to forgive them? Hmm. Well, the Bible doesn't tell us to beg God to forgive us. The Bible just says very simply in 1 John 7, oh, isn't it great that we have scripture to correct mm. our human perception. I mean, we have the, all these perceptions and the scripture says, I didn't say that. I didn't say, don't add, don't yeah. add. Uh, Eve, I didn't say that, Eve, don't add. Okay, so the scripture says this. The scripture says, if you say that you don't, if you say that you don't have sin, then, you know, well, then you're lying. Right. Because you're a person, okay? Mm -hmm. But, but if you confess your sins to God, he is just and faithful to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. First John 7. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, so he doesn't say beg God. Oh, God, please, please, please forgive me. Wait a minute. I forgave you when you first asked me to forgive you 45 minutes ago. I forgave you then. But mm -hmm. 45 minutes into this conversation with me you're still begging me to forgive you just because you don't feel forgiven a lot mm -hmm. of people wait for the feeling of forgiveness rather than accept that forgiveness is a fact not a feeling yeah that's good that's really good forgiveness yeah, is a fact forgiveness mm -hmm. god has already said hey did you make a mistake vani yes you sinned yes well confess your sins i've sinned god 
This is what I did. I don't even, even go into details. He's, he was there when I sinned. I don't have to even explain details to him because he was, he's God's spirit. He was there when I sinned. He's in my mind. He's in my spirit. He's in my environment. He saw it already. Nothing mm. surprises him. So I'm like, yes, God, I sinned. Okay. What do you want to do about it? Well, I want you to forgive me. Okay. You're forgiven. Now, what do you want to do about it? Well, I receive your forgiveness. Good. Now get up and dust yourself over the, you know, the whatever dust or debris you have and keep moving forward towards me. Keep moving forward to do what I want you to do. Mm. Don't be stuck in your sin as if sin obliterates my grace. Your sin cannot get rid of my grace. Mm. My grace is so powerful so big, it cannot be obliterated or ruined or destroyed by whatever sin you can come up with. Come up with a sin. Please don't, but you know. <laughs> I worshipped idols, Greg. Among the Ten Commandments, that was one of the first. Thou shalt not worship any other god. Okay. I mean, I broke the Ten Commandments. I deserved, according to scripture, I deserved hell. I did. I was, I was an idol mm. worshiper. But when I came out of that, all I did, I didn't beg God to forgive me. I, did, I really didn't. All I went was I went towards him and I said, I, I was, I'm an idol worshiper. I, I came from a religion of idol worship. And now I want to follow you. And, 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 and please, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And that was it. It was done. He filled me with his spirit in an instant. Philippians 3 and 13 says, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are in front of me or which are before. But the, the only way I can bond I can reach for those things that are before me. The only way I can bond with new relationship in a healthy way is, first of all, the, he said, this one thing I do, Paul says, yeah. look, I don't, I don't understand everything. This is a PhD guy. I don't, I'm not saying I understand, I've apprehended everything, but this one thing I will do, I need to forget the stuff which is behind. Now, when he says forget, he doesn't mean the human capacity to erase it from your mind. He means actually forgiveness. He's talking about to release the things which are behind, to forgive um, the, the caregivers in your life, the ex-husband, the ex-whoever, the ex-girlfriend, the ex-fiance, the parent, the stepfather, the uncle, the grandparents that have hurt you, not just hurt you emotionally, mentally, but sadly may have also physically and sexually abused you and hurt you. Forgive them. But forgiving is, forgiveness is, 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 is what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is, first of all, giving up your right to hurt them back. So if you've given up your right to hurt them back, you have forgiven. There are, there are steps to forgiveness. Forgiveness does not diminish the wrong. Now, you know why people have a hard time forgiving? Because they think, well, if I forgive those people in my past, my step-parents or whoever, um, caregivers uh, that have hurt me mentally, emotionally, physically, if I forgive them, I'm giving them a pass. No, no, no. Forgiveness yeah. is not a pass. 
Forgiveness does not diminish the wrong done against you. The wrong done against you is still wrong and it will be wrong in God's eyes until they repent. Until the people that have hurt you repent, God won't forget it, will not forget it or forgive it until they repent. But in your, your understanding of forgiveness is when you release them and no longer seek their hurt and seek revenge, you are not diminishing or lessening the wrong done against you. You're not saying they didn't do anything wrong. To, no, you're not. Forgiveness is not excusing. Forgiveness is not calling a truce. Forgiveness is not calling a truce with people that have hurt you. Forgiveness is not denial that it even happened. No, you know it happened. They know it happened. God knows it happened. It happened. They, 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 there was abuse. There was dysfunction. There was rejection. There was all kinds of stuff that happened to you. And it's not a denial. Forgiveness is you look at it face to face. You confront all of the stuff, the junk that has happened to you. And you say, you know what? I release everything that has happened to me to God's justice. God's justice. Well, I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's not easy. It's not, it's very serious business. God's justice. I am not going to seek revenge. I'm not going to trash them. I'm not going to ruin their reputation. I'm not going to talk about it anymore. I'm just going to release it to God and God's justice. And I'm going to move forward. I'm not going to seek their hurt and their harm. I'm not going to seek revenge. I'm going to move forward. And that's when forgiveness takes place. Forgiveness is not a feeling. You don't wait until I, I mentioned this in other episodes. Forgiveness is not a feeling. I, I don't wait until I feel that I've forgiven them. That's deceptive because sometimes you feel good. You might feel you're forgiven them. But what if you don't feel good? Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a fact. Forgiveness is a fact. That means um, forgiveness is you have decided to choose to let it go and not seek their harm or hurt. Forgiveness does not take away the consequences the other person is going to face because of their actions. It doesn't take away the consequences. Whatever they sowed, they will reap. What you need to do is move forward and begin to be vulnerable and trusting and bond with other people. I could have played a few more from her, and maybe in the future we'll have a standalone episode of all of Dr. Marshall's best ofs on the podcast. But next up, we have Dan McLeod talking to us about how we are able to tear down spiritual strongholds in the very popular episode 119. Now, verse, uh, sorry, he, he goes on, he says, but we're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Again, consider the imagery that, that he's giving us here. If I'm going to pull something down, where do I have to reach? I have to reach oh. to the top. Yeah. I could knock it down from the bottom, but it, to pull down gives me the visual imagery that I'm extending upward. And now he, he's talking about strongholds. This is an old military word, literally, it's a strong hold. It's a hold or a fortress that gives me a strong hold on the land. Hmm. When a military would come in and conquer a territory, uh, they could expel the enemy. They could decimate a city. I mean, they could conquer the land. But if they withdrew all their soldiers, then somebody else would just move in and occupy that land. And so the point was, uh, when they had destroyed a city, when they had conquered a land, 
they would set up strongholds, almost mm -hmm. like little fortresses, military camps to maintain a presence which allowed them continued influence in that region. So right. what Paul's saying is through the power of the spirit, if we're using the right weapons, we have the ability. We're mighty through God to pull down these strongholds that allow demonic influence in areas of our lives. Now, verse five, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Three things he says here. He uses the word imaginations. He uses the word knowledge and he uses the word thought. All three of these words direct us to one place, the mind. What's Paul doing? Paul's telling us where the stronghold exists. Yeah. Well. Now, in ancient culture, in a, in a carnal battle, that stronghold is a physical fortress in the region that the enemy is occupying. But in the realm of the spirit, this stronghold is a thought pattern. It's a way of thinking that is demonically influenced. Doesn't mean you're possessed of the devil, but it means you're being influenced by fallen spirits to think in a certain way that would allow the enemy to have influence over your mind, your will, and your emotions. Because if he can control you there, he can start controlling a whole lot more. It'll mm. change how you see things. It'll change how you speak. It'll change how you act, but it starts right here. Now, uh, even consider the order of what Paul says. Now, remember, he said pulling down. So in your mind, visualize the imagery of a fortress wall. This is the stronghold. I'm going to pull it down. I've got to reach to the top. My hands are extended. I'm going to pull this down. And now let's consider the order of the words that Paul writes in. First, it's the imagination. And as I'm pulling down, then it's the knowledge. And as I'm getting lower, it's the thought. Now, the destruction of this stronghold is from the top down. But the construction, the enemy's construction of the stronghold is from the bottom up. Right. When you go to build a, a structure, they don't suspend the roof and then put a foundation under it. They lay the foundation, they frame up the walls, and they put the roof on. So even though Paul begins with the imagination at the beginning of verse 5, that's because he's describing from the top down. Mm. Let's consider this from the bottom up to see how it's built. Well, it starts with a thought. That thought becomes knowledge, which is logic or a way or pattern of thinking which eventually becomes an imagination. Hmm. So a thought. Now, you've probably heard the, the old statement that uh, you can't control if a bird poops on your head, but you can decide if you let it build a nest or not. <laughs> yeah. And the, the, the humorous expression to convey the fact that you can't control every thought that enters your mind, but right. you can control what you do with that thought. Yeah. So if, if the enemy seeds a thought into our mind. This can come from a, many different ways. It could come through uh, spirit-inspired imagery. And I'm not talking about the spirit of God here. 
much of the imagery in our world today is inspired of a spirit, not of God. Mm. Marketing, media, movies, advertising, a lot of this is, is carrying. You've got to remember in, in this ancient culture that we that we study of in the time of Scripture, uh, they would bow before literal idols. Yeah. They would sacrifice before physical idols, statues and images that were made. This this was the tale of the three Hebrew boys. They refused to bow to this idol. Well, nobody's sacrificing in the context of the ancient culture. We're not bringing animals to bow before statues. But friend, our culture, we, we think we have evolved, but we, we are shelling out money. We, our sacrifice yeah. at the altar of imagery everywhere we go. That's such a good point. And what's, you know, Paul talked about, they sacrificed to demons. Well, they were sacrificing to a physical idol, but mm -hmm. the principle was behind every idol, there is a spirit. And so we have to have this awareness that because we're interacting with this very image driven world in the 21st century, there are going to be thoughts that are inspired in our mind, but they're not inspired of God. And we have to have the discernment. We have to be walking in the spirit enough to know, is this of God? If it's not, at that moment, at the recognition of a demonically inspired thought, at, I have to take it captive to the obedience of Christ at mm -hmm. that moment. Because if I don't, that thought becomes a way of thinking. And that mm -hmm. way of thinking becomes an imagination. Well, what is an imagination? An imagination is something that's not real, but you live or act as if it is real. As if it is, yeah. And being a father, you, you would know this. You know, I've got three sons, and the older they get, everything in our world teaches them to stifle the power of their imagination. Mm -hmm. But my four-year-old, my eight-year-old, he's still there, but he's starting to come out of it, and I almost hate watching it. But you give them certain toys certain objects and through the power of their imagination, they go into another world. They don't know anything about fighting. He's never been a ninja. He's never used a sword. He's not a power ranger. He's never saved the world, but he's running around the house. He's playing in the backyard. His imagination has taken him into another world. It's influenced his actions, how he sees himself, what he says, what he does. This is what Paul's saying. Paul's not talking about it in a positive light. He's saying there are demonically inspired thoughts that if you don't take captive, become a way of thinking that becomes an imagination. The root of imagination is image. It literally becomes an image in your mind and you become conformed to the image. You see it in your mind and you start to conform your behavior. That's why in Romans 2, He's talking about be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. You literally, that word renewing means to renovate. You've got to tear that out and start putting the right thing in. Mm. Because ultimately how you live your life is dictated by what's happening right here. We are blessed to have so many insightful guests. And this next clip comes from episode 102 where Gina Gretsch talked to us about prayers that make a difference. 
being anxious for nothing, the Bible says, but in everything, with prayer and by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. That's an invitation Mm -hmm. from the Lord to us. Everything Mm. by prayer. You're a counselor as well. Uh, I know this is kind of a random question, maybe a little off topic, but you're a counselor as well. Do you think the rate of anxiety, even within the church, the anxious feelings that people have, would that go down if if people prayed more? Well, that that's a good question, but it's also um, a hard question because you know some people have feel like anxiousness or anxiety is real, yeah. and uh, unfortunately, there have been people that have said, "Well, you know." you've got anxiety because you've got sin in your life or you don't Mm. pray enough, you don't believe enough, you know, whether you don't have enough faith. So I don't believe it has, you know, it's they're not the reasons why people feel anxiety. There are underlying reasons that there are things within their life that are triggers which may have nothing to do with their spiritual walk but that are triggers that bring on that anxiousness Certainly prayer or getting in the presence of God can help to, um, to help us through it. Mm. Um, but, that, you know, that is a, a hard thing to just say, well, you know, um, just pray about it. You need you to know, pray just, more. <laughs> yeah. 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 Especially if it's clinical, like if it's an right. it ongoing a, issue. A, more than just, you know, it could be physical, it could be many things. Uh, things that are unresolved from childhood, many things that could bring on the anxiety. Mm-hmm. So prayer helps, but, you know, telling someone just to pray through it or, you know, pray in the Holy Ghost. The Bible says be anxious for nothing. So just <laughs> 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 yeah. yeah, that's called just like picking out one verse and then making that. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. you know, for people who have never suffered anxiety, it's hard for them to relate to someone who does. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, the comments like you just need to pray more or, you you know, you haven't got enough faith. Mm-hmm. That's where those sort of comments come from because they don't understand it. But it's real. Charles Robinette is a wonderful man of faith. And in episode 115, he shared with us why we need to boldly declare the promises of God every day. We have all of these prophetic declarations of the Lord himself, these things that God has said, this spiritual seed that must bear fruit. When you look at Isaiah chapter 43, I mean, Isaiah chapter 55, where the Bible said, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return void. So God himself made this declaration. My word is not going to be empty. It's not going to have no effect. It's not going to fail to produce. It's not going to fail to multiply, to increase, to enlarge, to advance territory. So I think it's very important that the kingdom of God, kingdom people, that we begin to see the atmosphere with kingdom words. And one of the things that I like to do is I have a list of prophetic words that that the Lord himself has spoken. These are not mine. This is God's word. This is the word that cannot return void. My word can return void, but God's word cannot return void. So I like to take these prophetic 
words that God has spoken. And when I get up, I like to prophesy them. I like to speak them. Um, I like to declare them into the atmosphere. What am I doing? I'm reminding God of what he said. I'm reminding the Lord, you have said this. I'm expecting you to not just do this, but I'm expecting you to do it greater because you said that it would be greater works than these. So you have spoken all these things. You've done all these things. You've seeded all this atmosphere. But God, I am prophetically declaring this to be greater than it's ever been before. So I would encourage every listener, get a list of Bible prophecies, get a list of kingdom prophetic utterances that are that are important to you, that are important to the kingdom, that are important to your city, that are important to your church. And when you begin to go into prayer, don't ask God for anything. You prophesy those prophetic words, begin to speak that which is not as if it already is. Don't Ask God for what he's already promised you, because when you ask God for what he's already said belongs to you, you are telling the devil, I don't have it and I don't know how to get it. But if you begin to prophesy what God has already said you own, when you begin to take possession of it by seeding the atmosphere with it, look, a farmer does not sow seed without the expectation of multiplication of fruit. He doesn't go out there and waste his time and just be like, well, nothing's going to happen, but I'm going to waste my money. That doesn't happen. And we should not be that way in the kingdom either. We ought to take the word of God into our mouths and we ought to begin to throw it into the atmosphere, not without faith, not without expectation, but with the certainty that this is going to bear fruit. The words that God has spoken shall bear fruit. The moment they hit the atmosphere, it's coming to pass, whether it's Norway, Australia, Papua New Guinea, whether it's Ethiopia, doesn't matter where it is. When you begin to pray prophetically the words of God, you are declaring to the spirit realm, I'm about to have a harvest and it's not going to be small. It's going to be greater works than these. So one of the things I love to do is prophesy those promises on a daily basis. I love to get those promises. Even when I'm preaching, you said it, brother. Mm. I like to prophesy the prophetic word of God. I like to see the atmosphere with the things that he has promised because his word can't return void. So when I step into a pulpit and I begin to declare his word, there is that expectation, that certainty that what I just said shall come to pass because it's not me, it's him. Mm. And and you have a, a list of that in your in your book. In right? I do, so, I do, and that's just some of the some of the my favorite prophecies yeah, yeah. Uh, that I like uh, that are in my book. But um, uh, yes, you know. Uh, but everybody's unique. And so there may be things that you value and that just speak to you and speak to your spirit and speak to your area. It's things that you have been waiting to see come to pass, spoken words that you have been hanging on. Start prophesying mm. those, dust them off. You know, I, I bet there's pastors that listen to your podcast, dear brother, that have had prophetic words spoken over their mm. cities, their nations, their their regions that for some reason, because they didn't see it right away, they just put it on a shelf and it collected dust. Why don't you take that off the shelf, dust it off and start speaking it again and watch how God brings it to pass. 
Next, we have Vicky Gonzalez, where in episode 86, she talked with us about how she has been able to overcome adversity throughout her life. Your walk with God hasn't been easy. Uh, you know, you had, and not many people's walk with God is easy, but, and, uh, and when I put this question in the, in our conversation brief, I didn't even realize the nature of, of your upbringing and the experiences that you had uh, there. So uh, from the very beginning, you know, you were raised in church, but you also had this experience in church where you were betrayed by a minister. Um, and so throughout your life, there's been difficulty. Recently, um, you survived cancer as well. You've faced all these difficulties and challenges. How have you been able to remain faithful throughout all of this time and all of the difficulties that you've faced? I... I think the beginning of my life was uh, difficult because my, my mom had had the choice to abort me or, or not. Um, I learned later, if you can believe in, and you don't know this, um, my grandparents who were ministers, their next door neighbor was the guy that I found out was my father um their family was the neighbor i found that out they gave my mom money to abort me my mom didn't abort me because of course she was raised in church and didn't believe in that so i mean the beginning of my life god has had his hand on my life from from the beginning um then the abuse that i went through to seven years ago, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. Um, and my doctor to this day says, I still have cancer. And I say, no, I don't have cancer. The Lord has healed me. Um, through hard times is because number one, I, I've learned to love him. There's there's nowhere else to go. You yeah. know, there, desert journeys are necessary. Hard times are necessary because I believe number one, you get to see God in a way that you've never seen him. I've experienced God in ways that I would never know him. You know, um, scripture says that he gives us the treasures and darkness, you know, those dark places, if we'll look, there's treasure there. Um, I've learned to totally rely on him in those dark places. God has been able to remove every facade or hindrance, areas of deal with areas of my life. Um, I have found that God has appointed hard places um, for an appointed time. And that's cool because he has a begin and an end ending. Only God knows that. Um, and I learned that he didn't lead me there to destroy me. He led me there to develop me, mm -hmm. to prepare me, to make me who I am. It's because of my abuse 
that I was able to start a HOPE program and have helped women, many women that have been abused. Um, it was that HOPE program that pushed me into getting my ministerial license because I went to a hospital and couldn't get in to help a woman that had been battered and abused. And that was the tipping point. They wanted a license and I got my ministerial license. It, you know, those are the things that have pushed me. Um, cancer, you know, that was the doctor, when they did the surgery, they had to move my vocal cords. Um, and the doctor said, you may never speak only a, a whisper. Well, I'm speaking you, to you today. Satan has tried to silence my voice in so many ways, mm. but it was that that pushed me into stepping out and becoming what I needed to be, what God had called me to be, where in my flesh and my own ability, I thought I could never do. But when I step out of my comfort zone and, and know that God has equipped me to, to do the things that I need to do and to speak, I've spoken all over the world, mm. but it's been because God has allowed those things and, and, I, and I've allowed God to push me, you know, out of my comfort zone. God has used those things and I can say it might sound weird, but I'm thankful. I am mm. thankful for the road. I haven't liked it. I'm not saying that I liked it. But I'm thankful because that has made me who I am today. And, and it, it's allowed his power to work in my life. Dr. Janice Jostrand needs no introduction. And in episode 103, she told us the amazing story of how she wrote the song Alabaster Box. Now, did, did all of this occur before you wrote Alabaster Box, or what, what year did you write that? I wrote Alabaster Box in 1990, actually. Okay. Um, right, it, it was 90, 90 or 91, and it was during the time when the Clintons were in our life. And uh, actually... Um, he has a wonderful and lovely, very talented friend who was a, a high school friend. And he's, he was very loyal to his circle of friends that were with him in Hot Springs. And she is the one who heard me sing for Ray Charles. And she's the one who said, if you want to get someone, you know, from the Pentecostal movement to sing these songs for your inauguration. You need to get this girl rather than bring someone from outside. Well, that was a God mm. thing because there are, I have always felt humbled. I felt like that I am the least as far as I think there's so many singers and musicians, 10,000 times better than I am. It's just that the Lord kept opening doors for me and mm. I did not seek it. I, I, it just opened. And so she was the one who called up and said, would you, you know, Governor Clinton, and he had actually met us before. This is what's funny. When he was the attorney general, he had come to Lone Oak and we, we actually met them. 
uh, before he was ever governor. So, you know, God, when you, you, you have to live long enough to see how God has ordered your steps. You need to live long enough and go through enough that you turn around and go, wow, mm, I see how so it true. all fits. It yeah. looked random, wasn't random at all. Mm. I was moving somewhere all this time and it was powerful. And, and the alabaster box came about because my father-in-law went back to St. Paul to preach. Um, he was receiving his four-year degree. And um, Brother Norris, who was still alive at that time, invited him to speak on a Sunday morning. And they had a very lengthy song service. And he wanted me to either sing before him or after and and I said, well, you know, I, I think people are sung out right now. I think maybe just you need to preach and then I'll I'll follow you up. I'll do I'll do your altar call. And never knowing, I mean, I listened um I listened to him preach about the woman with the alabaster box. He he actually spoke on the three instances where women, whether the same, two different uh, I, I, you know, there's debate, scholarly debate. The point was that she was unashamed to make herself vulnerable in the presence of people who were not feeling what she was feeling, mm. who had absolutely no compunction to be so demonstrative. That got me immediately because I felt an affinity with that testimony because I always felt like I had more to give than was necessarily um, what do I want to say? I guess when you're desperate for God and you want God just going through the motions, just is not acceptable. Mm -hmm. I was just so hungry. And so my worship tended to be demonstrative before that was accepted. Let me say it like that because I needed God so desperately and so when I saw how she was rejected, because, you know, the same people can sit on the same pew. One of them is absolutely um, hanging on to every word, every word. And the other is like, when's it going to be over? You know, yeah. you, you bring, you bring your context to the service. Mm -hmm. And so I identified with her. And as he began to, I was so moved. I was like, this is me. And I was so utterly moved by what he was preaching. And I was thinking, flipping through uh, the Rolodex of my mind. What song will bring this home? Because so many songs can destroy a sermon. <laughs> it makes or break it. It breaks it, whatever you choose. So I was like, oh, Lord. And I was like, I have nothing. So I just got a piece of paper. seems like it was a tithing envelope. I opened it up and I just started writing in pencil. And then I got up, I went to the piano and I just made up the melody wow. on the fly right there. Mm -hmm. Cause it was so, I was so moved. And um, that was the first time I sang it. And then I went home and I think I tightened up some of the lyrics and I formed up the melody line and 
I was teaching a Bible study to the president's friend at that time when he was governor and I sang it for, and, um, during the Bible study, not that particular time, but for the time that we studied together and I talked to her about that, she got the Holy ghost at her house and, and then our paths diverged and she went on her way and she was raised Southern Baptist. Um, and, um, I, 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 I was trying to remember if her father was a Southern Baptist pastor, but, um, she sang as a cantor in a Jewish synagogue and she was so talented. And so, um, but I, you know, our paths crossed the Lord filled her with the Holy ghost. And then she went and, and went to seminary, uh, and became licensed as a United Methodist minister, but she got the Holy ghost. Mm. I was there when she got it. And, um, I, I, again, Worship has always been the center. I love you, Jesus. I want to know you. Mm. Use me how you want. And and since I was a child, he has occupied my thoughts. Probably not even a drop in the bucket to the extent to which I've occupied his and everyone who's curious about him. I have never lost my desire to know more of him. That has informed basically everything I've ever done. Yes. It's liberating because I didn't have to prove anything to anybody. At the mm. end of the day, no matter what happened, I was still going to go home with the one who brought me. Tim Zuniga is one of my favorite people, and he has a wealth of knowledge on leadership. In fact, he has his own podcast that is connected to his church that you all should follow called Between Sundays. In episode 95, he talked to us about why it is important to preach what is helpful and true. You made this profound statement, uh, at least what I thought was profound, uh, in, the, in the teaching. You said, I don't want to just preach what is true, but I want to preach, uh, what I want to preach is something that is helpful and true. Yeah. So I don't want to just preach truth, but I want to preach something that is helpful and true. What do you mean by that? You know, I have this thought in my mind that every Sunday and every time I preach, there are people there that come in. They don't say this with their words, but they say this with their eyes. They're saying, Pastor, preach to me, scare me, make me laugh, humble me, move me, motivate me, inspire me. But whatever you do, don't let me leave here the same way. Mm. They're, they're begging for something to take place in that service that transcends their issue, their emotional state, the problems or the battles or the issues at hand. They're, they're looking at me and say, whatever you do, move me, shake me, scare me, help me, do whatever, but please, whatever you do, please don't let me leave the same way. And, and that is a strong motivator for me. And so I, I've been really trying to not set up easy targets. Like, you know, we, 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 we can get a good thought and, and, and we'll say something like, like that'll preach, right? <laughs> that, yeah. That's a powerful, but, but doesn't mean it's helpful. Okay. Mm. And again, a lot of times it is, I understand that, but doesn't mean, mean it's helpful. I, I, I want to help where people are again, totally led of the spirit. Totally. I think in every service you can bring deep 
biblical insight, deep biblical insight. Again, that's the only eternal part of your whole message. Your words, ideas, stories, thoughts, facts, antidotes are not eternal. Okay, those are just added to, but the word of God is eternal. And so, again, we preach the word of God and I know that works, but there's a way to convey it and teach it and preach it where it, where it draws people in. Mm. And you can hit people with hard truth if you do it in the right way, in the spirit that, that is, is, is in, a, in a receiving spirit or a spirit that invites them. And so I have this mindset, like, I don't want to set up easy straw men to easily blow over or easy or knock down, you know. I, I want to set up steel men that, that are a challenge to knock down. I want to address things that are deep and meaningful and, and true, that there are single moms there that don't know how they're going to make it. There's a couple that, you know, they haven't had sex in six months and, and, and they're struggling. And there, there's an older couple wondering, you know, how long they have to still live together. You know, there's a teenager that's battling for their own, you know, do I believe this? Is this who I, and, and that's in every service. And, and you know, I, I want to go and say, God, I, how do I reach them all? How do I minister to all of that? Only God in his spirit can do that. He can touch the hardest, callous spirit and the most sensitive soul in the building and online. I, I, he, he can do that. And when you're a vessel that says, I, God, I'm going to bring the very best. And what I call it is, God, I'm going to bring my two fishes and five loaves. Mm. And I just know up front, it's not enough. Yeah. I just know, God, it's not enough. It's, it's not going to meet the need. But God, that's all I got. And God, I'm going to give it to you. And if you'll bless it, there won't be a hungry soul in the building. I, you know, it, it matters to me that I, what I've been praying is, God, I want to be an equipper. I, I really do. I, I have a saying that, God, I want a heart of a pastor, a mind of a prophet, spirit of an evangelist. I, I want those components to dwell deep inside of me, to minister to those lives and those individuals that you have put under my care. And I want them to know when it's all done. I've done everything I can to give you my two fishes and five loaves. So, you know, that, that, I guess that, I hope that answers your question. Oh, it but does, yeah. Yeah, I just, I don't want to preach it just because it's true. This next clip is from an episode that had a tremendous impact on me personally and the future of the podcast. It is from episode 113 with Simeon Costa, where he shared why we need to live with purpose. Are times that I would say that the enemy is most definitely to blame for dreams, uh, you know, dying or seemingly being put in in the heat uh, on the heap, as it were. Um, absolutely. I mean, look at look at Joseph. I mean, if, if we're gonna, t you know, I didn't have enough time to really get into it on Sunday, but the, the truth of the matter is, the more I analyze the story of Joseph. I mean, he really was hurting, mm. and he really was going through it. And, and, we, and I, I think I mentioned it about how, theologically speaking, we say that Joseph is a type of Christ because we don't see any actual sin or something, which, again, you know, there's only one sinless, that's Jesus. But I would, but I would like to say that if you really analyze some things going on there, um, he, he had, there was some healing that he needed because he— you know, just the way he tested his brothers and the the weeping and all the various things and the way he talked to that butler when he's like, don't forget me. And he's, you know, uh, where's your trust in God, Joseph? Like, why are mm. you depending on this guy to get you out? There's just a lot going on there. Um, but we do sometimes give the devil too much credit. And there are times for that. There is a spiritual attack. I, I absolutely agree. But also, 
some of us are to blame. Mm. Okay? Because we've shut our own dreams down. We have suppressed that. So let me encourage somebody here. So, oh, I mean, I don't want to do social media. You don't have to. Get on the street. You know, what about street services? Well, okay, I'm not talking about street services. But what about, what about you know, you got buskers out there, right? Why don't you go down to where all the people walk, get you a little, get you a little uh, sound system, or get you one of those uh, amplifiers, and hook, your, hook your, your guitar up or something, and just flow and sing. You don't need to record yourself because you don't want to do that. I get that. You feel I'm, I'm that kind of person too. I wouldn't want to record myself doing that. And then, and then here's another option. If, if that really makes you feel uncomfortable, get a couple of your friends or one other person that you feel uh, has, has a gift like that that can assist you in this and do it together. And get down where the people are walking and just sing songs that God has put in your heart. Sing some worship songs and let the anointing just move. You don't even have to preach. You're preaching, trust me. Mm. Right, and 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 do that instead of doing social media. So, so the point is, you know, are you suppressing this dream? Are you to blame for the reason why this isn't getting out? Stop, stop blaming the devil. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And 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 um and and so uh, it's time for it's time for us to stop being afraid. It's time for us to stop making excuses. It's time for us to start releasing that gift. Because I'm going to tell you something. When you release that gift, it's weapons in the spirit. It's breaking through dark, uh, dark areas. It's shining light into darkness, guys. Mm. Whether, it's, whether it's people reading books and reading Revelation that's coming. It's whether it's music being heard and the spirit flowing through that music, you know, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a live stream, whether it's a YouTube channel, I don't know what it is, but you've got to start getting it out there. And, and, and I'll tell you something. Um, some, one of the reasons why some of you are feeling, uh, there's a, almost like a darkness over you, or you feel almost like a depression or you feel as though you're just shut down is because you're not walking in purpose. You're not walking in the fullness of what you're supposed to do. And, and so it's like you're wandering. But the reality is, is if you'll step out by faith and start to do what God's put in your spirit, you'll come alive. Mm. You'll start to come alive, and you'll start to feel fulfilled, and you'll start to really live out this God dream in you. When you live out this God dream in you, you watch what begins to happen. And then you start to watch the power of God and the gifts of the Spirit start to unfold and flow out of you. And so I just want to encourage, uh, you know, you to do that. And the more all of us begin to do that, the church begins to come alive and this army begins to march and the light begins to shine as a whole. I hope you have enjoyed some of the great moments from the show and that it has been a blessing to you today. We'll finish this episode off with the one and only Dr. Vonnie Marshall. The reason why we, we go through what we go through, you know, emotionally and mentally, that, that there, are, there are mental health issues, the reason why we struggle with depression, anxiety, and all kinds of things, and even anger or rage, is because we invest all of our energy, we focus all of our energy in embracing a lie. And this is the lie we have embraced. 
I've done this. I've done this. And I've had to rethink and God had to bring me out of this so that I, I no longer embrace this lie. But the lie that we've embraced is that we have a very ungodly definition of success. We need to rethink our definition of success. So to the viewer, to the listener, my question to you is this. You can think about it in your own time. What is your definition of success? We have believed the lie that God is not enough. That is our definition of success is, um, you know, I, I need a bigger house, a better lifestyle. Uh, all of my children have to be saved for me to feel successful. Well, what if they're not? Are you less successful because your children have not become what you wanted them to be? That is between them and God. God, God loves them. Uh, are you not successful if you don't have your own home? Or if you don't have the kind of lifestyle or salary or looks or health that you think is the right look, the right health or the right whatever, the right kind of house, the right kind of car. Our definition of success has to, cannot be based on what you have or don't have. Your definition of success is, are you becoming more like Christ? And that is my word. That is the definition of success. That means if you're more forgiving today than you were last week, you're successful. You've become very successful in a week because you're more forgiving today than you were last month. If you're kinder today than you were last year, then you're becoming more Christ-like, you're successful. If you're more gentle the way you talk to people than you were yesterday, then you're successful because that's more Christ-like. If you're becoming Christ-like, taking baby steps to become more and more Christ-like, then you are more successful. Then, you not more successful, you are successful because you're becoming Christ-like. It's not what you own. It's not what you have. It's not who you are or how you can speak or how charming or how educated you are or how much money you have. It's, are you becoming more like Jesus? That should be your definition of success. And if that is, then you will conquer anxiety, depression, and rage, and anger, because you will not be on a mad pursuit to be successful the way um, the world pressures you to be. Instead, you will pursue being successful by becoming more like 